precious name we pray. Amen. Long that is, I appreciate everyone, the folks up here leading us and singing that, and I need to exalt that beautiful, powerful, wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've titled this series, To Live as Christ. If you'll turn to the book of Philippians with us, uh, we're in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. I, I do hope you bring your Bible with you every week so you can follow along with us as we heard the story about a pastor who had a, a wonderful sermon he'd been working on for a long time, and uh, this wonderful it. And uh, I want to bring a sermon on humility this morning, and I think we have a large mobility. Uh, this text this morning, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, uh, most scholars believe this was an early hymn of the church, and I like to call this the, the hymn of the condescending king. Testament. Uh, we really are on holy ground as we, we read these words here this morning. Philippians 2, verse 5, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exists, every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, Father. May God write his eternal word on our hearts this morning. Beginning in uh, chapter 1, and Paul shifts gears, and he begins to talk here about the, the, this topic of disunity and dissension and discord that had begun to, to rear its seven through the end of chapter 2, really the topic is how Christians can get along with each other. It's the topic of spiritual families, our homes. Um, last week we saw, as we looked at chapter 1, verse 27, through chapter 2, verse humility, that humility is the pathway to harmony. It's putting uh, others ahead of ourselves. And we, we left off there last time in verses 3 and 4, where Paul writes, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another, but also for the interests of others. So he's calling on the Philippians. What Paul does beginning in verse 5 is Paul pulls out of Jesus Christ himself because Jesus is the, the, the perfect example of the selfless kind of humility. It's very simple. Harmony comes through following Jesus' example. Of, it comes through following the example of Jesus and his selfless humility. And this is a, a theological treasure trove, Philippians uh, 2, verses 5 through 11. And we can never... But we have to remember this passage is not given so much as a doctrinal treatise, but as an illustration or practical illustrations to explain doctrine. But here Paul, interestingly, uses doctrine. See this in verse 5. This is really the key thought. He says, have this attitude or this mindset here is be like Jesus. Now, the way this is written, it's in the present tense. You could translate this, let this attitude or mindset be in you again and again. Not the selfless humility of Jesus, be in you again and again. The self-sacrifice example. Over in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter also uses the humility of Jesus as an example for us. He says this in, in uh, 1 Peter 2.21, For you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, while being reviled. This is talking about his, his crucifixion. When he was reviled, one who judges righteously. So it pictures here the, the humble submission of Christ. Now, in, the, in these verses, in, in Philippians uh, chapter 2, from eternity past all the way to eternity future, this is really a, a mind-blowing panorama that takes us into to the... is really in this hymn. It's 
I've called them Christ's self-humiliation and then Christ's super-exaltation. Those are humiliation. Now, we hear all the time about people working their way up the ladder in life or way down the ladder one rung at a time. So you could picture this as a ladder, downward mobility, if you will. Now, to fully understand what Jesus did, we have to understand who Jesus was before he came. Or to put it another way, we have to measure the extent of his humiliation against who he was and where he was before he came. The eternal, uh, uncreated, self-existing creator of the universe who was kind of, though he existed in the form of God. Now the word form there is the Greek, Jesus came to earth, he existed eternally in the two things. It, it obviously speaks of his pre-existence. Because he existed before Jesus was made a man, he already existed as God. So it speaks of the fact of the very form, the very essence or nature of God. And then the next phrase, equal with God. One of the constant battles through church history has been over the deity of Jesus Christ. And I think this is stirred and wants people to believe that Jesus is less than God. And so all the cults and all the false religions, they have two problems in their book, and they always have error about the person of Jesus Christ. There's always what we call Christological error. They have error about who it is, Jesus is, and ever will be. He's equal to God in every way. He's co-equal. He's co Every one of us as believers should be able to defend. There may be a lot of things you don't know about the Bible or theology. And uh, just go to John's Gospel. You can just get a few verses there. John walking of preexistence and deity. In John chapter 5 and verse 18, it says the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. The 8, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He took to his, I mean, John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father, that's two persons, I and the Father are one, one in essence or nature. Thomas finally sees the, the prince in Jesus' hands and his feet, and literally in the Greek, he says, not just a God, but the God of me. I always like to say, you know, people who deny that the deity of Jesus need to go see Thomas. Thomas said, he's my Lord and he's the God of me. And so, you know, when people say the gospel, Jesus himself claimed to be God when he says, before Abraham was, I am. So God, a thing to be grasped. Now, that's the only time that word appears in the New Testament. Probably the best way to transfer advantage or something uh, to be used as a pretext for self-serving. Or he didn't view it as a equality with God to be exploited for his own advantage. Because it says in the very next verse there, beginning in, chat, in verse 7, but he emptied himself. Now you'll often hear people talk about the kenosis of Jesus. Some of you probably heard that before. It comes from this word, the self-emptying of Jesus. And as you can imagine, a lot of ink has been spilled over what it means that Jesus emptied himself. Now, let me just tell you, first of all, what we know it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Jesus emptied himself of deity. A deity can never be forfeited or diminished. It doesn't mean that. When Jesus took on humanity, he veiled his deity, but he didn't void his deity. Very in human flesh. Now, one widely held view about what it means that he emptied himself is that Jesus laid aside the independent use of the prerogatives of deity. Or another way it's stated, it's for instance, they would say, you know, he wasn't omnipresent when he was on earth. He was in one place at a time. My problem with that view has always been it just explaining exactly, I ran across others subsequent to that, who to me make it a lot simpler. 
When it says in verse 7 what this self-emptying means. Notice, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. The self, what does this self-emptying look like? It looks like these phrases that are stated. So this self-emptying of Jesus, this self-humbling, it says that at the beginning, he took the form of a bondservant of God. That's the essential essence. It's the same word here. So Jesus took the essence and the nature of a bondservant or a slave. He exists in the form of a bondservant. He became a slave in the fullest sense. And there's no more powerful picture of this in the New Testament than the night before he died on the cross. Up and he gets a basin and he gets a towel and he gets on his knees in the very nature of a slave or of a bondservant. Jesus became exactly like all other human beings. The, the humanity of Jesus, just kind of someone who is pretending to be a man. Some will say, well, you know, Jesus is God and came down and he just looked like a man and kind of pretended. Of course, there's one exception to that. Jesus was unfallen humanity. He was a, a perfect, sinless human being. This is the way theologians state it, and I love this. You have undiminished deity. An unfallen humanity in one person forever. Isn't that a beautiful in one person forever? And then I love this. It says, being found in appearance as a man. In other words, accepting Jesus uh, just as easily and naturally as they would accept any other person. He didn't walk around with a halo over his head or some glow that enveloped him. He was found different uh, than any other man that someone would see. And all of this, of course, speaks of the incarnation. Of, of Jesus coming in the flesh. So Jesus is God and man in one person, and he will forever be God and man in one person. Right now, about this a lot. It's hard to get our mind around this. Jesus Christ existed eternally. As a conception of Jesus in the, the womb of the Virgin Mary, something was in there before. Think about that. Humanity was added to deity. And he added the humanity, though, without surrendering his deity. Theologians say it like this, remaining all that he was God, he became what he was not, which is man. And there's a lot of mystery in that. For all of eternity, and as far as the very God, but at the moment that he steps out of eternity into time, something is added to God that wasn't there before, and that is humanity, as Jesus takes on uh, human nature to be joined with his divine nature. Adrian Rogers says it like this, God has, Jesus has, everything God does, Jesus does. Jesus is fully God, he's not part God and part man, he's not all God and no man, he's not all man and no, it says that he came here and he was made in the likeness of men. And then you go down on the, on the ladder, another rung, and it says, and he humbled himself. That's why I call this the self-humiliation of Jesus, because nobody else can humble him but himself. A sovereign God can only humble himself, surrendered himself, and he stripped himself. The sovereign God who could not be humbled, humbled himself, and consented to Jesus Christ, who's the sovereign of all, who becomes the servant of all, who ultimately becomes the sacrifice for all. One book I read this week, the author said this, and this, I've thought about this statement a lot this week. No one can humble Jesus, he says. Jesus humbles us. He chose to empty himself. Therefore, do not look at this passage and feel sorry you don't stand over Jesus. He humbled himself, and we must humble ourselves before him. Nobody humbles Jesus. Nobody stands over Jesus. 
And then he describes the extent of this humiliation when he says, by becoming obedient to the point of death for us. You see, only God can pay the infinite sacrifice that has to be paid for human sin. Man can't pay the infinite price for his sin. Only God can do that. But only man must pay the sacrifice for sin because man is the sinner. So uniquely in the person of Jesus, you have one who can pay the price, one person uniquely qualified to stand between God and men, to be that one mediator between God and even death on a cross. It's like he's horrified when he says it. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We've hit rock bottom here. This is the bottom rung of the ladder down to Calvary's depth of woe. And that's a great way to put it, isn't it? From, from Godhead's fullest glory down to Calvary's depth of woe. He died the degrading, vile, wretched death of crucifixion. But he not only died, he took our place and took our punishment, and he became a man so he could die for us and pay the Lord of glory, hanging there on a cross, dying uh, for sinners. And again, the old song says, How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Jesus was forsaken by God as he hung there as our sin bearer, and he was cursed by man hanging on the tree, taking the wrath of God in the place of sinners. Second, who although he was rich, for your sakes became poor, that through his poverty you might be made rich. Now people read that and think, well, Jesus was rich in heaven, and he came down here and he lived a life and didn't have very much money, and he died so we can, for our sakes became poor. And that's talking about when he hung on the cross, he was bankrupt there as he's dying for sinners. And he became poor that through his poverty we might be made rich, receive the, the riches of eternal life and forgiveness of sins and rights. A little phrase this week I loved. He called it the plunging self-humbling of Christ. It's just to go any lower, God dying and laying down his life for sinners, hanging there between heaven and earth. There's an old story, some of you may have heard a missionary told this, about uh, two rugged, powerful mountain goats. And he was watching this from a, a little bit of distance, and he sees these two, and on one side there's a thousand-foot chasm dropping, and the other side there's just a sheer cliff. And it's so narrow, there's no room to turn around, and neither one of the goats could back up without falling. And then he said that something astounding knelt down and made himself as flat as possible. And the other goat walked across him, and then the two goats went their own direction. And the author said this, This is what Jesus Christ, by dying for sinful mankind, he laid down in selfless humility to receive eternal life. What a picture that is. Jesus Christ laid himself down and let us walk over him. It's this kind of selfless humility that Paul is saying in this passage. This is what you need to have in your life. Have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Well, verse 9, the cross now to the upward path to the crown. We go from Christ's self-humiliation to Christ's super-exaltation. Notice in verse 9, therefore, they're super-exalted. So you have really three movements in this passage, the descent of Jesus, then the consent of Jesus to die, to die, to go to the cross, and then he ascends back to glory. And basically, this is just the divine principle that the way up is down. God exalts the humble. He lifts them up. And the proud, the Bible says, he fights against them. He brings them low. We won't turn there, but in Isaiah 14, 12 to 14, I think you have there a picture of the... 
And now maybe the worship leader in heaven, some believe. But sin was found in him, the sin of pride. When you read Isaiah 14, you have five times, I will, I will, I will. And all I will be like the Most High. It's all about going up, up, up. And what Satan wants to go up and lift himself up. And the way up, and when he goes up, he goes down. And of course, when you come to the Lord Jesus here in this passage, this is the counterpart to what Satan does in Isaiah 14. The form of God, he comes down, 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 and God highly exalts him. It's called the great parabola, many people call it. From the highest place, the exaltation of Jesus took place at his ascension. When he ascended back to heaven, was caught up there in Acts chapter back in heaven. It's an old story from the life of G. Campbell Morgan. Um, he was a great preacher. I've gotten to the ministry, and he took a couple of exams, and he preached a sermon, and it was so bad that he bombed, and he was rejected. And, of course, he was totally dejected by this, and he sent his father a one-word telegram, rejected. And his father could just see his, his uh, dejection, of course, in that, and his discouragement, fathers and grandfathers. He sent him back a telegraph that said, rejected on earth, accepted in heaven. What an encouragement for his son. But you could write those same words really over this passage about our Lord Jesus. He was rejected on earth, but he was accepted in heaven. God super exalted him uh, to the highest place. Now in verse 11, or in, in verse 9, it says uh, that, or, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. He's given him the name because it says in uh, verse 11, or verse uh, 9, that God gave him the name of Jesus. But that can't be the name here because that name was given to Jesus when he was born, right? So that can't be the name. That every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the name that is above every name. It's the name Lord. It's the, it's the, the name or the title of cosmic sovereignty. And here it's used of Jesus, another affirmation of his deity. But it says here that at this name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will bow, everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord. At uh, the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II back in 1953, there was an unforgettable moment that happened. Uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Dr. Jeffrey Fisher, I made the crown for to her to take it, he uttered these words. Think of how many people would say something like this today when some leader um, is being appointed. He said this, I give thee, O sovereign lady, this crown to wear until he who reserves the right to wear it shall return. This to wear it returns. It's a solemn recognition of the lordship of Jesus Christ overall. And make no mistake, he's coming. He's coming back to Christ. Every rational being throughout the entire universe will confess the dominion. Sure, when this will happen. Will it be at the second coming? Will it be um, at the beginning of Christ's millennial kingdom? Will it be at the end of his reign? Or will it be at the great white throne judgment? We're never told that, but we're told that it will happen at some point in the future. And God will search every nook and cranny of the universe and no place will be excluded and no person were there. The unfallen angels and the saints of God. And he says on earth, that'll be the redeemed and the unknown angels or demons. Uh, the dead who are there who are lost, unredeemed humanity. And even Satan himself. So the, the dead, the damned, and the demons, all of this is to the glory of God the Father. Entire created order. No affirmation of his sovereign deity will be withheld from him.
Everyone's going to bow. Now, I don't know if you can picture this scene in your mind. I've tried. I'm not that good at uh, picturing. Confucius will bow. Every leader of every false religion will bow. Joseph Smith will bow the knee. Pilate will bow. Herod will bow. Napoleon, Stalin, Hitler, Satan of Jesus Christ. And by the way, you will bow and I will bow as well. We often talk about, you know, we have a date with destiny, but he's inescapable, he's unavoidable, and it's inevitable. You will stand before him, and then you will bow the knee before him and confess that Jesus Christ a lot, because the last couple of weeks, if you turn on television, all you hear about is people bowing a knee or not bowing a knee at sporting events, right? They're taking a knee or they're not taking a knee. And I've gotten tired of hearing about it, and I could go off on that this morning, but I won't. You can ask my wife what I think about it. She'll tell you. People are bowing the knee and whatever, and I thought about that. You know, one of these days it's going to be great because there's going to be no controversy about it. Ever give homage to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and there's going to be no discussion about it. All rational creation will bow the knee to the Master. When you think about that, if all of history is headed to the feet of Jesus, that's where it's all headed. And if everything is ultimately headed to the feet of Jesus, wouldn't that be a good place for us to start living now? And if that's before him every day of our lives now, because see, the issue is not, for, for any person, is not, will they acknowledge Jesus as Lord? It's when will we do it in the future when people are going to be forced to do it? I, I like what one writer said. He said, all will submit, but not all will be saved. Only those will be saved who submit in this life. Those who submit in the life to come who are forced to do it, they're going to do it, but it's not going to have any saving benefit for them at that time. And think about that. They're going to have to bow the knee and forcibly admit who Jesus is. Think about uh, the the, the angry atheists and people today who deny even exists. They have to bow the knee before him. They're going to have to confess he's Lord of all. But think about out of our lungs, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because that's been what our lives have been all about ever since uh, we came So I urge you, if you've never done it, come to him now. You're going to do it sooner or later. It's not a matter of if you're going to do it. It's a matter of when will you do it. Will you do it now when it will avail to your salvation? Romans 10, 13 says, All who call upon the name of the Lord, I know I'm lost without you. And I come and take you to be my Savior from sin. Look, Jesus came down so we can be lifted up. And he became like us. I mean, he died that we might live. He became a slave so that we can go free. He went down to the depths so that we can God Jesus Christ as your Savior without confessing in your heart and bowing the knee in your heart. This passage, and it's rich. Don't forget the key lesson. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you over and over again that was in Christ Jesus. That is the way of the Master. And as A.W. Tozer said once, we die to self every day. And we're to make our way down the ladder every day to be like our master in self. Let it be in you over and over and over again. You know, it might be a good thing to just think in your own mind this morning. But they say about me, I'm humble. Now, don't think about that very long. Because if you think they think you're humble, then you probably won't be humble anymore. But anyway, they view me as a selfless person or they view me as selfish. And someone that's got to have my way and, and other people uh, serving me in life. In my marriage, humble. Because look, selfless humility will go a long way to solving most of the problems that we have. The problems in our marriages. The problems in our families. The problems maybe in your workplace. The problems here in this church. God is calling us to empty ourselves so that we can fill others. 
to live uh, the way of the master. Most of you have heard the name George Whitfield. He was a great preacher, great man of God. Uh, you know, he, was, he was known on two continents. And he preached 40 to 50 hours a week, 13 transatlantic trips back when it was by ship. But in his early days in England, he was so uh, famous as a, as a preacher. Everybody was fawning over him and, and talking about how great he was. He had a, a voice that could just carry that people could hear from long distances away. A, a very eloquent preacher. But there's a great story about him when he was a young man and everybody was singing his praises in England. He got down on his knees one night and he prayed this prayer, Lord, keep me from climbing. Isn't that a great prayer? Lord, keep me from climbing. George Whitfield understood what it meant to go down the ladder of, self, of humility, of selfless humility. And because of that, God raised I thought that'd be a great prayer for each one of us to just think about in this coming week, maybe to pray for ourselves. Lord, keep me from climbing. Keep me from having to have my own way. Lord, help me to be like the Savior. Now, and we, we thank you above everything else for the obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ, that self-humbling that he came down and he died and bore our sins on his body on the tree. And again, Father, I'd pray this morning if there's anyone who've never bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus, they might do it this morning. They might realize that they have a date with deity. You have to stand before the Lord Jesus someday, and they're going to do it one way, admiration, adoration for the Lord Jesus and bow the knee before him. And Father, I pray for those of us who know you, that you'd mold us more and more into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would constantly be, be a master. And Father, I pray for myself and all of us. Amen. Let's stand, please, for the benediction as we are dismissed. The bell's going off over here somewhere telling me I'm finished, I think. So it's right on cue. Thank you for coming and spending this Lord's Day with us. To go out these doors on the left side of, the, of our church. Let's bow our heads now for the benediction as uh, we are dismissed with God's blessing. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All God's people said, amen. <laughs>